0: thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. It's always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it.
1: Joining me now on the tour coach, this is like an annual thing. I think the first time I had this guest on was last year at the Memorial. We sat at a hotel there in, in uh, Dublin or uh, that area, and it was the first time I had him on. Been on multiple times since then. He's, he teaches a bunch of the best players in the world. One of my good friends. He's one of the great dudes out there, Justin Parsons. JP, what's up, bud?
0: Hey, Tony. you okay? Just hey, walking to the golf course here. The, uh, the glamorous life of parking as a coach on the PGA Tour. You're very well used to it.
1: Oh my gosh! You know, isn't it funny too? So like, you get to kind of know the events that you have good parking and not, and you remember from year to year. That and food are the two things I remember most.
0: <laughs> well, D- Dublin—it's a beautiful little place. Actually, here the golf course looks absolutely magnificent. I walked 18 holes yesterday. The, the changes that they made are, you know, almost unrecognizable from the first time I come out here. And you know, it's a—it's a—it's a special tournament. I remember watching the Ryder Cup here uh, yep. from here in like '87, watching reruns of it and things like that, so great golf history, and yeah, I think it's going to be a good week. Talk a little bit
1: about what you've had going on with your guys, so let's start with Harris, because I follow it so much, just because I'm a fan of yours, and on Instagram, the work, so he had some injury stuff, man, the stuff you're doing, and some of the videos I've seen, looks. man, he looks really, really good, he's got to be getting close to coming back to play.
0: You know, he's he's, uh, he's here this week, we did 18 holes yesterday, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I would say trepidation, some nervous energy running around that uh you know we gotta get back to you know what's the what's the tournament plan look like on top of what the rehabilitation plan looked like. You know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff I've been trying to do is to try and look into, you know, how does he get into that, that trail hip of his that he's had surgery on, trying to make yeah. his golf swing a little bit easier on his on his trail hip and his trail side. You know, a lot lighter yesterday was a was a tough day of preparation. We've we found that um you know some of the fields that we had and practice weren't really transferring out here. I mean, you know what it's like. You know, there's just, it's yeah, just yeah. a different level the tournament. How do you combat that? I, I find that too.
1: Like, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago I was at Byron Nelson, you know, and, and you, you go out there and you're you're on the range and you've got a player and you he's got a training, he's got a field that works pretty good. Then you go on the golf course and, heck, it didn't translate or maybe it wasn't as good as it needed to be and it missed the cut. How do you deal with that? Cuz I think that for for people that do what we do, I think that's one of the harder things taking the work that you do on the range that sometimes I know you and I will share a video and you're like, "Man, that looks really damn good," and then the guy goes out there and misses the cut
0: by eight. You know, I think there's there's such a there's such a wide gulf between scientifically, you know, biomechanically, physically what's supposed to work and what works for players in real time. You know, some guys are, you know, they're, they're really playing with, a, with an open face cut pattern, uh, you know, and some guys yeah. are playing with, a, with an underneath kind of hold on pattern. And, you know, there, there, there are patterns that just work for the human being that you know, when you look at them on video and things, you think, well, yeah, that's not going to stack up, but the guys make it work. So, you know, you've got to understand your player. You've got to understand their bodies and that's been one of the things that's thrown me a little bit for a loop with, with Harris, because obviously his you know, he's had a very significant surgery on his right hip, and we all know how you know important the, the hips, and particularly yeah. the trail hip, is for a golfer. You know, so I'm kind of relearning what his body's doing and what his body's able to do, and uh, you know, we're 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 trying to go through that together, and hopefully we're you know we're climbing it up. So you know, it's uh, it's part of the challenge of what we do. I know you and I take it very seriously and we, you know, we love the players we're, we're lucky to work for. And you know, I'm lying in bed last night thinking about what I need to do better today. And I'm trying to walk in today with a great positive frame of mind as usual. And that's what those guys are, uh, that's what they app- appreciate and that's what they expect.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously you got to be realistic and you, you got to be able to tell them the truth. But I, I think, I think being optimistic or positive and because, man, it's easy Golf's so hard to me to me the majority of the players out there there's probably an exception here or there are overly hard on themselves and overly critical as opposed to the other way I, I mean I'm sure there's a few that aren't but to me the majority of the best players in the world if anything they're overly critical and overly tough on themselves and more leaning more towards being a perfectionist when it comes to how they hit it and how they play
0: yeah I mean and I think that I think the best work that we can sometimes do is to give them confidence Give them confidence in themselves. Give them confidence in what they're doing, and ensure that we're filling them with, you know, with confidence as they go through. And I think mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, that's pretty much the most vital part of, you know, of what we're doing out here on the road. And sometimes it's a, it's a different thing when we're at, you know, Sea Island or wherever. We're able to, we're able to work through some stuff, you know, in a different way. But whatever it yep. comes to being, being out here on the road, you know, giving them confidence in what they're doing, making sure they. They understand implicitly the little drills or exercises or fields that they're working with and getting them ready to play golf because you can't think too much about what you're doing mechanically when you're actually playing golf.
1: Right. Well, it's been interesting. Obviously, we we talk in text, but like following you on on Instagram and the videos, so like you've been home for a good stretch of weeks other than the PGA, really, you know, and so you've had a bunch of guys there working at home, and so the thing I always like is you can see that when you're at home, you do the bulk of the heavy lifting and the work on things that you might like to work on, and then yet you, you know. And then when you go to a tournament, I mean that stuff's kind of you know it's on the. I'm sure I'm sure you still deal with it to a certain extent, but it becomes like you talked about much more about tournament week and the preparation and figuring out what feels and what's going to work right there at Muirfield or whatever tournament it is.
0: Yeah, I mean you know it's it's one thing like introducing a new idea. Again, when you're not on the road and when you're when you're doing your work at Sea Island or, or, you know, at your learning center. And then there's another thing, being able to just indicate to a player, hey, do you remember that feeling? And he goes, All oh, right, right, yeah, that thing that we were talking about. Yeah, that thing. And then it's not such a big deal. It's not a surprise. It's not a new thing. You know, you know these guys, these really high performers, they don't really like surprises that much. You know, they like yeah. to have some stability in what they're doing and not have to introduce new feelings all the time. And, you know, again, establishing a, a pattern that really works for them, you know, I think is really one of the keys to their, to their successes. And again, in a, in an ideal world in which we don't live, if you, if the pattern can stack up to your, you know, biomechanical, physical, you know, force plate type world, then, you know, they should be in a position where they've got all the shots, but sadly that, sadly that sometimes just not the way the world is, you know, that, you know, everyone's, everyone's blessed with being great at some things and not so great at other things. And then you've got to navigate a way to be able to help them, prepare and perform for a golf course with the things that they're great at and make sure they mitigate the things that they're not so good at.
1: I think you got to be careful as a coach and a teacher and I think you have to be especially careful as a player to not chase things that you think might make something look more perfect or scientifically more perfect when they're already getting good results and they're already good. I had a player that, you know, kind of went on that case and was left or whatever and hadn't played really well when they were playing some fantastic golf talk a little bit about that cuz i think that with in the in the arena that we're in now all the teachers listening all the players there's so much damn information out there right there's so much and and there's so much knowledge about what would make something more perfect or or more better that's not very good english from me but you know make something better and yet you know sometimes that case to me is what leads people further away from playing golf and that also is kind of the tricky part about what coaching and teaching is?
0: Well, I think when you're, again, working with some of the better players in the world, they're never, even, you know, we are having a laugh earlier on about, you know, um, one of your students, Bobby Wyatt, shooting 57, and Louis shooting 57 down in South Africa. That's one of the stories he likes to tell. And, you know, you ask them about it, and they said, well, I could have shot 53 that day. You know, <laughs> so golf is golf. Golf's kind of, you know, to your point, if, if you're going to add something, you normally detract from something else. So you know, if you've got a player who's a who's an unbelievable wedge player, and you work for two months with his with his driver pattern to get his driver pattern, you're probably going to shallow out his wedge pattern and change it, change the spin on the ball of things. So you're you're in that kind of you know. I think of it like you have lots of different little tasks that are going up and down as 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 time goes on, and as you as you add to one, you're probably detracting from another, and and hopefully there's a there's a balance that you can arrive at, and and certainly out here on the PGA Tour, if you look at the if you look at the way that, you know, the best players tend to perform, they're, they're excellent putters. They've got very tight, short games. You know, they're either really good with their wedges, straight drivers of the ball. They could be extremely long drivers of the ball and probably get away with, you know, not being so brilliant into the green with their wedges. And then you have the, the, the really elite level iron players. So, you know, you're just trying to make sure that you can, you know, you can build upon a recipe which is already successful and, and as you do some of the work, hopefully not detract in, in other areas that are strengths. And that's the balancing act in which we live, Tony, as you know. Yeah. How do you go about, when you're working with a player, how do you go about finding
1: their formula or their recipe? I mean, a lot of people talk about a person's ingredients and in their recipe, but how do you uncover what a player, especially when you get, you know, you've gotten some players, too, that when they came to you, maybe weren't, most of the time when somebody comes to us, they don't come to us because they're hitting on all cylinders and they're playing the best golf of their career. You know, I remember when I started with Lucas. I remember looking, going back through old stuff and and looking at what the shot shape was and how much draw he played. Like you're just trying to get back to things that were comfortable and familiar. But like how do you approach when a player comes to you and they're not doing well and they're, you know, obviously they're they've been great players. So they wouldn't have a tour card or have access to that if they're not great players. Where do you, how do you start to uncover and find find their recipe?
0: I think that's I think that's where the stats give us a great advantage. I mean, obviously the, the shot-link era that we're well into you now gives us a, a good insight into what makes a player tick. You know, for those listening, the Daily Golf guys have put together some other great little kind of I guess they would be algorithm examples of you know where players are very good and where players aren't so good. And then when you you can cross reference that against what golf courses require players to have. So if it's a golf course where you know, you've got a you've got a, a series, a sequence of wedge shots, you know, that's that's always somewhere we looked at, you know, they like the likes of Michael Thompson to do really well at. The golf course that's gonna, you know, really be uh leaning on your iron play from one seventy five to two twenty five, that parasitic test to be up to you know, matching up a player with a course to answer your question. I think with many of these really fine players that I've kind of inherited, I think the the, the recipe is already there. You know, you'll find that that we we know that Patton Gazar is an excellent putter. He's a really good short iron player and he drives the ball more effectively and hits the fairway more often. You know, he really can let the rest of those sort of skills that he has shine through. I would say that when you look at, again, the likes of uh, Harris, Harris can can eliminate one side of the golf course and be very effective off the tee. It allows his iron game to shine. And, um, you know, we we looked at, for example, his short-sided bunker play being an area that, you know, really needed cleaned up uh, a year or so ago. And that, you know, that really helped in some in some situations where he was able to, you know, put that into some little pitch shots that he had around the greens and things like that. So, again, I think you, you want the blueprint to stay stable, which is probably going to have be the blueprint from college. And then if you can add to the to the pieces of the puzzle and make them better in other little areas, you know, then you can, you know, then you can really make them better. But I don't think there's not much time where you tear everything apart and completely have to reach that problem. I think that's the... A dangerous place to go.
1: I think that what you were talking about there with the shot link era and the stats is fascinating. It's interesting to me because I'm starting this elite program for ten people that want to be good. You and I've talked about that and, and doing it with Colby and some and Greg Doctor Carton. But one of the things that i put in there was really getting more into stats and providing them with an app and a you know a way to track stuff so that our time because to me, if we can structure, you know, like I know you teach tons of great college players and young and up-and-coming pros, but if we can get them to where we can get more and more data, more information about what's really going on, because not everybody has shot length, obviously, to me, to me, our job becomes easier because then we have more information. And then our sessions, for me, are way better if I'm going to work two or three hours with a player we've really got a spotlight on what's really going on instead of what would just be the traditional lesson where you watch and hit it and you get them hitting it better on the range. But being able to find out some of that information, regardless of what level you're at, to me is pretty critical in putting a plan together to help somebody succeed.
0: No, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, and again, it's, uh, I am fortunate in that record. I can, you know, flick all the PGA Tour app and look at stops. I do find out a challenge. I think that's when your communication skills can get tested the most where you know, to be honest with you, I I'll get the players and, and I'll sit them face to face in the office and really go through <laughs> with them and kind of kind of grill them a little bit and you'll know, be a little bit less trusting of their first. Oh yeah, I'm putting fine. Well, oh, let's define that. I mean, how's that last two months looked on the greens? And, and you know, when, whenever you delve in and really communicate with people, sometimes you find that you'll 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 achieve different uh, you'll achieve different answers after a little bit of communication. But to your point. If we can find systems i mean the, Ar- the Arco system has been interesting to me. I find with a lot of players, even the keenest, most diligent players don't want to necessarily sit for an hour and a half and put in all of their stats after they their eyes. It's a difficult thing to do for them and um i can't, I kind of empathize with them on that, and there are some guys yeah, it who, that I'm do that, that. Uh, <laughs> you no know, and the and the simpler we can get that or the more uh you know the the, the more linked into programs, you know, again, maybe like Arcos, when things are sitting on the golf club and they don't have to, you know, they don't have to physically do that or do just as much of it. And then I think we'll, you know, end up being able to make those players a lot better. Yeah, I I agree a thousand
1: percent. Talk a little bit about, too, you talked about sitting down with a player. I mean, how many times, or not how many times, but... I mean, how often is the player's perception of where they're really missing stroke or what the cause or the weak part of their game is? I find that, you know, I, mean, I think players' egos and and, I, and and all kinds of things play a role into what they think about themselves in their game. And sometimes, you know, sometimes to me, you know, where they think, what they really think the problem based on what their strengths and, and what, the, you know, their blueprint, as you call it, is, you know, sometimes what they think they're good at is, is maybe not really – you know, they're not doing as well as they should be at it, or some of the things, you know, that they think are weaknesses, maybe statistically, for what their blueprint is, they're, you know, they're not doing as bad as they think.
0: Yeah, I got you. I mean, there's the interesting thing, like, I've probably had more dinners and more beers with caddies over the, over the last, you know, eight or 10 <laughs> years doing this job than, than than anybody else, because, you know, not only are the are are the caddies you know, fun and interesting people to talk to, but they also have a real window into what's going on with the golfers, and the golfers are, are, are in the heat of battle. And I, I really think that that's, a, that that's a real good insight for, for those of us who are working with tour players to, to utilize the skills of the caddies and really ask, you know, what's the player been feeling over certain shots? Have they been shots that, have been, that he's been finding more difficult? And I tend to get a great deal of insight in that. I mean, I'll speak to Louis' caddy shares. I'll speak to both the guys. I'll speak to Eric Larson. Almost daily, who caddies for Power English, Joe Edder who's working for Pat, Tway, Bob Tway's brother, who works for, uh, for Brian Harmon, and, you know, Gracie's in some caddy changes. But, you know, I speak to those guys all the time because they, they are really a window into the psyche and the performance of a golfer. And they, they understand. Most of them working out here, they really, really understand the game of golf, and they know if something's off, they'll be able to tell you. And they're, you know what they're like, Tony, as well. They're pretty honest people. Oh. Their, their livelihood. Their livelihood demands that the golfers are, are doing well, so they're not going to beat around the bush. You know, if the, the golf swing could look good, but they're going to say, well, he's not had worth the damn." so you need to yeah. do something different.
1: Yeah, I th- I agree with you 100%. A couple of the more enlightening things for me as a teacher have been when I've caddied for one of my players in an event. You know, I mm-hmm. I went to Japan one time and caddied for Smiley, a, you know, and we were paired with Brooks Kepka. This is kind of the year before Brooks was Brooks. But, you know, like, you got to see him in the arena, and this is when he was still playing some fantastic golf, and also caddied for Lucas. And, and to me, those were really enlightening because it's so different inside there when the gun goes off and the heat's on than it is. And you actually get to hear their self-talk. You actually get to hear the process that they're going through, hit and shot. And, I mean, to me, it's, it's fascinating if you ever have the ability to do that to caddy for somebody because you really do see what's going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, even for the young coaches, even if you can do nine holes for a player here and there, yeah. You, know, and you don't need to. You don't need to play. I mean, you can ride in the golf cart and basically be their caddy and advise them and talk them through shots. And you'll pretty quickly you'll hear what they're, you know, what they're what they're saying. You'll you'll be, you'll be able to understand what they're thinking, how they're approaching different shots, whether they're seeing the correct shots. You know, I was lucky enough caddy for Louis at the RSM, a caddy for a bunch of young players at the Divide Ezra Classic through the years, a couple of Challenge Tour events, but. I echo you, Tony. If, if time wasn't an obstacle, I'd probably want to do that two or three times a year just to keep myself yeah. sharp and to, to see how you know, see how things were going with players. Yeah it's, it, yeah, it's obviously
1: time constraints. But I think if anybody teaching, we have so many teachers that listen to this and listen to you and I, they must not have anything better to do. But, you know, and then we have a lot of players that are really striving to be good. Like I think if you're an up-and-coming teacher or an up-and-coming player and you get the chance to get your coach or to, to caddy for your player, I think it's a valuable lesson and, and you know, and I also want you to comment on you've touched on Louis several times and one of the great players in the game. Well to me the interesting thing about your coaching and teaching is you've got players at different range and different areas of their career and of their life. And I and I don't know that people pay enough attention and understand how much that affects the work and how they do. Like I mean Louis's at a different phase in his life and his career that a Harris English is or a Brian Harmon or a Pat Kazire. You know, there's so many things that affect that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a huge challenge. You know, it's uh, it's been interesting, you know, being out here working you know, on the PJ Tour for, well, three or four years. I living in America for three or four years. And, you know, I, I think the demographic of the players is getting younger. I mean, obviously the stats will tell us that. Yep. There are still outliers. And, and when you look at, you know, how a human being's life tends to, and I know there's a lots of people living different lives, but, you know, you, you tend to, to be in an area of a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more settled by the time you're in your mid to late thirties. And you know that with it brings a slightly different mindset to the mindset you might have in your, in your late teens and early twenties. And you see these wonderful young, well-trained weapons of golfers coming out, out of college and, you know, they don't have any time constraints. They've got no kids to keep them up at night and they've got nothing to to really take away from their golf at that time, to distract them from their golf. And I think we've talked before about, you know, one of the formulas that I would use for, for golfers and, and making sure that you can limit their distractions. If you can take away as many dysfunctions as you can and, and, and allow their their potential to then grow, then you'll get the good performance. And a lot of times, you know, identifying, telling the, the older players what's distracting them and making sure that they don't have too many things in there that are just taking away little pieces of time, little pieces of mental energy from the, the, the task of playing golf, which it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, 35, 45, or 25, golf's still hard, and the more distractions you put into the mix, the, the harder it gets. Take a guy like Louie. How do you motivate may not be the right word, but, you know,
1: obviously, I mean, a guy like Louie's made he's made plenty of money in his career. He's won a major, so, you know, he's achieved so many great things, you know, and then they get to the age where they obviously they've got families and, and that they really want to be around and, and not miss time at home. and how do you handle? How do you help motivate them or keep them focused and keep pushing them forward when maybe golf isn't? You know, I mean, when you started working with them, I mean, golf probably was his priority, right? How do you keep pushing the player forward when the priorities and the the interests and the things they want to do change?
0: Well, I think you know that that would lead into a little bit of a conversation about like teaching golfers or coaching human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you see a human being's life. Moving in a direction that's right for them and that's, that's in keeping with what they've always been and who they've always been and their values and their uh, the way they are as humans is is is, is good and is uh, is genuine. You know, then I think you can give that person a pat on the back and say, look, you can do do what you need to do in order to continue being you. And the flip side of that, if you saw you if you're with a young player who who started partying too much and he was out and he was doing different things that didn't allow him to to achieve his goals and wasn't going to give him a, a good path in life, you know, it would, it would be remiss of you as his coach, not to, you know, not to really pull that person up, but, um, you know, you and I both know we're, we're, we're in the business of, of coaching human beings who happen to be yes. really, really good at golf. And, um, that's a very, very different, different responsibility. And whilst the, you know, the, the motivating the golfer and things I think is, is also very important is, you know, if you, if you're not in the right place as a human being, you're not going to play good golf anyway. So, you know, right. once we can, get, we can get them in the right place, then we can potentially remotivate them or or move them into the direction that they, could, they would need to be moved into in order to, to win golf tournaments again. So I hope that's not too vague and covers no, some of that. No.
1: I've said a bunch of times that I think that all of us, for the most part, doing what we do, have about the same information. I mean, everybody may have different preferences and takes, but I don't think there's any, like, nobody's got some hot secret that nobody else knows out there. You know, still looking for the <laughs> yeah, let me know if you find it. I promise I'll buy the wine, but, yeah. uh, but yet I think the people that excel and that are the very best at helping players achieve their goals are the ones that become the best and understand that you're coaching human beings yeah. and find a way to <laughs> find a way to be part of that and to tap into that. I think that's some of the most powerful stuff that we do. And to me, you know, so much of, of my continued learning is just picking the brains of people that are really, really good at that. I I've spent, I've spent a bunch of time talking with you about it because I think you're fantastic at the coaching human being part. And that's something I think that's often overlooked when you read stuff about teaching golf and, and what makes somebody better. I think everybody goes to the technical, but I think so much of it is, is understanding the human being part of it.
0: They're so, dark. I remember, uh, you know, being in the car with, with Butch, Norman, and we were on a longish drive together, and I was able to ask him a bunch of questions. And he said, JP, if I had a bottle of confidence that they all could have taken a drink out of, whenever they needed it, I'd have been a billionaire. <laughs> True, right? So, you know, So he, from all of the success that he had, he recognized that if he was able to instill a little bit of confidence in the player whenever... You know, every during a session or, or as the session was over, the player was going, "Yeah, I feel a little bit better about myself, and I know what I'm doing." And if you can give them that little bit of confidence, then they'll probably arrive at, uh, you know, arrive at a better performance state. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to arrive scientifically or non-scientifically, or from a from a human side or from a teaching side. We're trying to arrive at a better performance state. And I think you and I would both agree that if you have a have any player who's highly confident or not as highly confident we're going to get a better performance from a highly confident player it's also
1: to me fascinating and at times incredibly perplexing you know how fragile that confidence can, is and how quick a player can go from on one side where they feel like they can't hit a shot that's terrible <laughs> to where they play great to where they also where a guy's played great 3 4 weeks in a row and he's doing great things and not and all of a sudden, one round of golf, and then you, all of a sudden, three weeks later, two weeks later, you feel, you know, you feel like the guy's way off track. It's amazing how quick those swings can happen to people that are so damn good at what they do.
0: It's incredible, and I think that's another, you know, that's another testament to the younger coaches, just to, you know, the language that you use and the things that you say are, are so so important because once you say things, you can't really unsay them. And I think, yeah. you know, when you, when you have this game, which is so difficult, Derek Clark shared with me, he said it's his favorite stand. I think Tom Weisskopf said it. And Tom Weisskopf, who's a fabulous golfer, I guess, Tony in the 60s and 70s, mostly, God. he have been active, and won the Open Championship, I believe. And he said, you know, when you're playing good golf, when you're playing well, you can't imagine how you could ever play badly. And when you're <laughs> playing badly, you just can't imagine how you could ever play well. And I think with golf, I think that's so true. You know, you go out there and you have a, you know, a nice run of playing and score well, and you think this thing's easy. And, you know, and three days later, you think, I'm a beginner again. And, and these guys have the same sorts of feelings. It's a very, very humbling game. And I think it's humbling for those of us who coach it as well.
1: Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. Yeah, I think it all goes back to coaching human beings. And, and uh, you know, it's not just golfers. They're human beings. And that's why I think it's so important to understand all of the all the aspects that go into what makes a person play great. I also think it's important to help a player of any ability understand that they don't have to be perfect or they don't have to hit it great every day to be really successful or to win golf tournaments or to achieve their goals. I think there's some players that you work with where they think they've got to hit it their very best or they've got to, you know, they've got to be perfect. To do what they're trying to do and and that's just not the case. I mean you see examples all the time. I mean, you could look back at the p g a Justin Thomas didn't get very much out of the third round. I mean incredibly hard on himself, right, and then comes back on the last day. but you know, helping folks understand that you don't have to do everything at the very best or do, or your very best to be perfect to win, and that to me that's a challenge as well.
0: I think that this, the strive without the strive for perfectionism I don't think they'll ever reach the level right i mean I think you've got to get that out there to begin with if you've got a player who's not who's not striving to be fantastic you know a, a fabulous ball striker and a great short game and a great putter, and he's not you know, he or she are, are are not they're always going to be they're never going to settle until they feel like they're getting better and better every day i think that that, that is something inside a golfer that you want to have to You want to nourish that, and you want to make sure that they need to have that. But at the same time, once they step onto the first tee, you've got to help them realize that the the mentality is completely different. Always the reverse. You've got to be kind of easy on yourself in the golf course. You've got to expect to see some deviation. There's too many variables for you to have complete control. Even on the greens, there's too many variables for you. You've seen the perfect putter, the, the little videos where they roll the ball down the perfect putter four times from the exact same spot, and the ball goes four different directions. So you know you gotta you, you gotta help help a player re- recognize that the chaos of golf, the chaos of playing golf, and the the wind variations, the lie variations, the the whole location, the show, all the things that are that are thrown at them make it a, a completely moot point to try and be perfect at that point. But when they're standing on a on a driving range on a nice calm day with an eight iron and a you know a fresh bag of golf balls in front of them and a nice flat lie, well they should be putting the club on the ball properly. So that, you know those are the that's the way I kind of do it. I'll, I'll, I'll demand. I'll de- not demand is maybe the wrong word, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to expect and and see really, really good movements and really, really good execution on the range, and and then try and make sure that they recognise that you're not going to be able to have the same thing in the golf course because you only get one flat lie with an eight iron every, you know, 36 holes, and just because you have 50 flat lie eight irons, perfect really means very little when it comes to playing golf because the first eight iron you're going to have is going to be below your feet into a little breeze where you're having to take five yards off it. And that's not the shot. You were practicing on the range.
1: (laughs) Amen to that. JP, awesome stuff as always. Thanks for taking the time, man. I know you're slammed up there at the memorial. Been wanting to get this done. And also, thanks for all the support and the help too with the the golf coach development page. It's been really fun doing that and helping some young coaches out there to me the response to that and the questions that we're getting and, and the notes that we're getting from teachers has been so fun and, and in many ways it's rewarding This teaching golf.
0: It is, it is, and I you know, I think if we're if we're helping a, a, a certain little subset of, of coaches who are picking up the great information that's available through, you know, social media and and various other channels if we're helping them to make the, the process of, of teaching this game a little bit more human. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're probably we're probably helping those guys, and, and hopefully they're they're uh, they're getting some some positive positive vibes from it when it comes to their sessions
1: Awesome stuff, JP. Thanks for everything. Thanks for all the support and friendship. And he'll kick some ass this week. You guys up at the memorial, and keep having a great year. I'm hopefully I'll see you up at the U.S. Open in a few weeks, and uh, we'll have some fun.
0: You're the man, Tony. Thank you, bud.